in the summer of 2015, uh, one of Major League Baseball's uh, most popular walk-up songs, all right, that's like a song when a, when a batter's headed to uh, the batter's box and getting ready to, to bat. They have music a lot of times that plays as they're approaching the plate. And in 2015, one of the most popular walk-up songs was a song by a guy named Andy Minio, um, who is a, a rapper who happens to be a Christian, and it's called You Can't Stop Me. And it was maybe taken a little bit out of context uh, from the way he intended it when he was talking about because the, the, the song's kind of talking about, you know, the idea that since God is, is for us, who can be against us? And so a lot of times these batters would take that and be like, well, you know, God, I, you can't stop me. God, I'm, I'm going to get a hit off of you. You know, you, I'm going to hit you. you. You can't stop me. And so maybe taking a little bit you know, out of context, but the chorus of the song goes like this. They try to shut us down and it ain't going to slide. Only thing I fear is God and he's on my side. That's the confidence of God because he got me. That's why I really feel like, and then he would scream, you can't stop me. And he's really kind of talking about self-doubt and, and, and the stopping himself, that even like he, he's not going to stop himself, nothing, God's on his side. But the, the whole idea of the song is that when we get a vision, and when we get an understanding of the glory of God, when we get a glimpse of His greatness, when we contemplate His majesty and His glory and His supremacy over all things, when we see that He's the great I Am, and we sing of these things, and, and we get that down into our hearts, His majesty and power and might and worth, and that that God is for us. And he puts all of his omniscience and omnipresence in his guiding of us and in his leading of us and in his walking with us. And that he's doing all of, you know, in a myriad of ways, he's, he's walking us in his wise uh, and understanding, and he, you know, that we may not always understand. Wise ways that he's leading us in that, that we may not fully comprehend in the moment, because we're limited and finite, and he exists outside of time, right? and he sees the ends from the beginning, so we may not always understand it, but when we get that, who he is, and we trust him in that, we can take heart in whatever the circumstances of our life and live boldly and passionately. We can take heart in who he is and what he's done and live for the glory of God and shine brightly as his people. And that's what I think is the heart of this kind of difficult to understand passage here in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. All right. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and make your way there. That's what we're going to be going through today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one around you somewhere. Grab that. If you don't own one, take that one home. It's our gift to you. Uh, but we're going to be on page 869 in the Bibles that are around you, or if you have your own, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And so we'll just kind of take it section by section with this idea that when we get who Jesus is, we can take heart. We can take heart. He's the great I am. We can take heart and live. So verse 14 of Luke chapter 11. Here we go. Now he was cast now he was casting out a demon that was mute. 
When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. And so this is the fifth or sixth time in Luke's gospel alone where Jesus is casting out demons or or dealing with demonic forces. Chapter four, he fights the devil uh, in when when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. Later in that chapter, he casts out demons. Um, Chapter eight, he casts out a whole legion of demons out of this one guy, sends them into uh, pigs. Chapter nine, he heals a boy who's uh, demon possessed and he's having seizures all the time. And then here we've got this guy who's mute and he's the, the, the demon is rendered mute. And so over and over and over, we see all of this. And I've highlighted this to you to, to say, to get us to understand that the demonic is a, is a reality. Demonic forces are a reality. Now, I want to make sure you understand something, especially if, you know, maybe you're still exploring Christianity or, or you're new to the faith or anything like that. Make sure you understand Christianity is not a dualism. Okay, it's not a dualism where there's, you know, uh, a good a good side of things and there's a bad side of things and they're pretty equal in power. And we're just not really sure who's going to win in the end. And, and Christians, we happen to be on Jesus's team and we're really pulling for him, but we're not 100 percent sure how it's going to go. And the Bible teaches that God created all things. Including Satan and demons. They were originally angels who rebelled, tried to mount a coup in heaven, and God was like, please. And kicked them out of heaven. And they're fallen to the earth. And He will ultimately cast them into hell, into the abyss where they will suffer eternal conscious torment for all time. And so understand, like hell, when you think about hell, hell is not some kind of underworld where Satan is like the king. You know, hell was created by God as a place to pour out his wrath on Satan for all eternity. That's what it was created for. And so demons, all right, fallen angels in league with Satan, they want to try to rob God uh, of, of glory, but they're on a leash. They can only do so much. And again, there's coming a day when Jesus will return and he will cast them into hell for all time. And they know that day's coming. And so that's why as you read through the Gospels in particular, whenever Jesus shows up and Jesus allows them to speak, because he doesn't always even let them speak, but where he allows them to speak, they're always terrified of him. I know who you are, Lord. You are the Holy One of God. Are you here to torment me? Are you here to destroy me? That's what's always coming out of their mouths. And so there's no dualism here. Jesus is infinite in power. Demons are finite. But they are a real deal. And so often we relegate like the thought of the demonic to just some sort of freaked out horror movie. That's what we think of. Your head spinning around in a circle. That's what we think of. We think of Exorcism 3. I think that came out last year. That new Rings movie is coming out this year. And just as a side note, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to fill my mind with that trash. That's like handing ammo to someone you know wants to kill you. I'm not giving him bullets for his gun. 
All right, but that's what we often think the demonic is, some sort of freak show. But in America, a lot of times it seems Satan's tactic really is to almost get us to like think it's that that freaky. It's, it, it, it doesn't really exist. It's not really real. His tactic is to get people to think that he doesn't exist. Overseas in the mission field, you hear about these freaky incidences, not unlike what you hear about in Scripture where the gospel is going into new places. But in America, a lot of times it's, it's more subtle. But don't be mistaken. It's just as prevalent. It's just different. And for example, I'll give you one example. The voices that you hear in your brain sometimes. Joe, you are horrible. You are a fraud. You think God loves you after what you've done? You think God could put up with you after what you've done even in the last few months? You call yourself a pastor? Quit. Quit. You couldn't possibly be that. I don't normally talk to myself in the second person, so who is that? It's the accuser. And so don't be mistaken. The demonic is a real thing, but also don't go wacky. All right? Don't go wacky. This doesn't mean there's a demon behind every bush. It doesn't mean that everything that befalls you is a demon's fault. Car won't stop. Or won't start. Why? If it won't stop, maybe that is a demon. You cut your brakes. I don't know. But, you know, a guy sometimes, you'll hear people, car won't stop. Well, why? Demon. Well, is there gas in it? No. Well, put gas in it. Well, there's a demon in the can. I can't open it. I'll let him out. Right? The demonic. It's not Ghostbusters. Okay, this isn't some sort of Ghostbusters things where you let out. So don't go wacky. Don't go wacky, but do recognize demons exist. It's not always a chemical imbalance. It's not always a medical thing. It's not always because someone was not shown love as a child. All those things are legit. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying it's not always that. Sometimes it's something else. And so demons exist and they hate you and they want to kill you and they will or lead you to kill yourself. That's what they do. They kill, steal and destroy. So they want to rob God from glory. They want to rob joy from you. They want to destroy your life. But but here's the thing I want you to hang on to and I want you to get. And this is number one in your notes. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger. He's Lord over the demonic. He controls the leash that they're on. He'll cast them into hell when he returns. They are peons in relation to his power. There's no dualism here. So Jesus is bigger. And so we can take heart because Jesus is bigger. And so when Jesus cast this demon out in verse 14, there were some people who marveled, but others then look at verse 15 with me. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others. While others to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste 
and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so these guys are trying to claim that Jesus is casting out demons through demonic power. Because like Beelzebul is an ancient Ugaric name for, for Baal that has come to through uh, culture and through time has come to mean either Satan uh, or like one of his chief field generals. And so this is a ridiculous amount of blasphemy that they are heaping on Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just blow them up here. He's merciful and he reasons with them. And so he's like, look, a divided house can't stand. Like how, how many of you have ever seen a football team where the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, they get into a squabble, right, for the entire season, and the locker room's just trash. It never goes well. A divided kingdom, a div- it, it cannot stand. And so you can, then verse 19, he's like, I'm ca- if I'm casting out demons by Beelzebul, and it works... But your guys are supposedly casting them out by Yahweh and it doesn't work. Are you saying that Satan's more powerful than Yahweh? Don't be absurd. Don't be absurd, guys. And then he goes on. It takes a stronger man to cast out a strong man. And I am that stronger man. I wield the finger of God. The kingdom of God has come upon you. I am the strong man. Demons quake before me. They run and flee at the mention of the name King of Majesty. Right? We just sang all this. There's no power in hell or any who can stand before the power in the presence of the great I am. And you're seeing, Jesus is saying, you're seeing this because I wield the finger of God. The kingdom of God has come upon you. And then verse 23, he draws a line in the sand. Whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. A lot of people today don't think that they are against Jesus, but they're not necessarily for him either. They're willing to admire Jesus from a distance, but just so long as he doesn't ask too much of their lives. And Jesus is saying it doesn't work that way. There's no gray. Make your choice. Make your choice. And that choice comes down to every single one of us. Are you with Jesus? Or are you against Him? There's no gray. You can't be indifferent. Jesus is saying you can't be indifferent. Indifference is opposed to Him. You have to choose. But understand this, in that choosing, by nature, we are all opposed to Jesus. 
We are all opposed to Jesus by nature. There's none who does good on our own. No, not one. We are depraved for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But this is the grace of God that while we were still enemies, He sent Jesus for us. That Jesus came to rescue us by living a perfect, sinless life that we were supposed to live, but none of us have. And then dying the death that we were condemned to die for our sins that we've committed, Jesus died it for us so that we don't have to. And then to validate the whole thing that He is the Son of God, that He does have power to forgive sins and conquer sin and death. He rose again, showing us His power and His victory. And that's so that our sin is gone and our spiritual death is gone and eternal life has come. And Jesus holds this out, this, this gospel, this good news to anyone who would repent and believe. But you have to repent and believe. You have to receive it. It's only effective for those who take it. It's open for all, but only effective for those who take it. And so understand well, there, there's this line drawn in the sand. But it's available. But you have to respond. And how you treat Jesus now is how He'll treat you on the day of judgment. If you accept Jesus now, He'll accept you then. If you reject Jesus now, He'll reject you then. We will give an account. So I plead with you, be reconciled to God. I plead with you to repent and believe the gospel if you have never done so. I plead with you to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But lest anybody miss it and think they can just do this on their own, Jesus goes into a little story in verse 24 talking about just trying to morally improve ourselves and how that will lead to ruin. So look at verse 24 with me. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. What Jesus is getting at here is that reformation, okay? Just personal reformation, just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and trying to purge evil, or or actually purging evil from your life just based upon your own sheer will, all right? Self-reformation without regeneration, And the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, is fatal. Like if you just change your life without actually receiving the Lord Jesus, you you push the evil out of your life and there's this void and there's no Holy Spirit that comes into it. You've just done that on your own. Then what's going to happen on the backside is worse than it was beforehand. But if you will trust Christ, if you will hear His Word and seek to keep it, you're more blessed than even the Virgin Mary. That's what He says in verse 27. He said these things. As He said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. 
And so it's just this line in the sand. You can be with Jesus and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for you to be filled with anything else, to be filled with the demonic. Afflicted, yes. Possessed, no. Why? Because Jesus and His Holy Spirit are bigger. They are more powerful. No dualism. And so this section here, for some of us, is a warning. It's a warning. And so I plead with you to be reconciled to God, to surrender to Christ as Lord and Savior. But then for those of you who are believers or may even become a believer today, it is a shot in the arm. It causes us to take heart because he's bigger. Like he's the stronger one that disarms the strong man. He exercises the finger of God. He's brought and will bring the kingdom. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's greater than anyone. And so take heart. It's the whole take heart. Jesus is bigger. And so folks, whatever you're going through in your life right now, Jesus is bigger. Whatever circumstances, whatever's weighing on you, Jesus is bigger. That doesn't mean it's going to always be rosy, right? You look at the scriptures, it goes bad for God's people very often. And so there's sin and there's evil and there are horrible things that happen that, that are clearly not what God wants. And so I need you to listen really, really carefully here. That exists. There, there is sin. And there is evil. And God is not the author of those. But He is the ruler of them. And what I mean by that is He is bigger than those things. He is bigger than sin. He is bigger than evil. He is bigger than me and you and Satan and demons. And that's why in the end, God will work it out for good for those who love Jesus. Romans 8. He's over that stuff. He's bigger than that stuff. He's more powerful than that stuff. I mean, you look at Joseph in the Old Testament. You look at Ruth. You look at Esther. You look at David. On and on and on we could go. Horrible situations created by sin. And God turns them. Why? Because He's bigger. Because He's God. And so quoting a few lines from my favorite hymn, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. And so, dear friends, take heart. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger. But not only is Jesus bigger, he's also, number two, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Look at verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, 
This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And so going back up into verses 14, 15, and 16, Jesus heals this demon-possessed man. Some people marvel at that. Other people claim he's doing it by Beelzebub. And others, verse 16, keep seeking from him a sign from heaven. And so you, you know that Jesus internally has to be going, did you not just see what I did? You not heard about the last three years? I travel around teaching all the signs I've shown you. The dead are raised, the lame walk, the mute speak, the blind see, the diseased are healed. Winds and waves obey me. Demons are terrified of me. But you want a sign? All right, fine. I'll give you a sign. Only one, though. The sign of Jonah. Look at verse 30. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Further, it's like, almost like there's a further here. The queen of the south, all right, this is the queen of Sheba, this area of Yemen, and then across the waterway to Ethiopia and Eritrea, um, Somalia, that, that area. The queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, will rise up at the judgment. This is going back into First Kings telling a story. Will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for, here's why, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon's here. The men of Nineveh, this is who Jonah preached to, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so the whole point Jesus is making here is Solomon was an amazing man. And the queen of Sheba got it. All right? Jonah was an amazing man. And the people of Nineveh got it. But I'm infinitely better and you're missing it. I mean, Solomon was a lesser man that, 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 that this queen traveled thousands of miles to see. But in contrast with Jesus, the greatest man, the God man, fully God, fully man, standing right in their midst and they don't see him. Because Jesus, it doesn't, he, he's not just given wisdom like Solomon was. He is wisdom incarnate. He's not just a king of a small area in the Middle East. He's the king of all kings whose kingdom is everlasting. Infinitely greater than Solomon. I mean, with truly a truly universal kingdom because his kingdom is the whole universe. All that he created. There's not one atom over which he does not claim mine. I mean, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And so we're not just talking here about a great man. We're dealing with the creator and sustainer of the whole universe. 
Whatever is in heaven and earth, He made it. Whatever is visible or invisible, He created it. It's all created by Him. It's all created for Him. He's before it and in Him all of it holds together. Creator and sustainer. I mean, you just think about, just think, just think about space for a minute. Uh, a couple of days ago, there was a, a deal where on one night there was a lunar eclipse and there was a, a comet that you could see if you had a telescope. Um, we went out and we we're looking at it and it's all cold and the kids are looking for it and I'm get on my phone. I'm like, you, you got to have a telescope. Come back in. You can't see it. They were all excited until I popped their bubble. But you think about these things. You think about the size of space and we just stay close home to, to home for a minute with the sun. You could bore a hole in the sun and start dumping earths into it. And you could put 1,200,000 earths into our sun. And there'd still be leftover room to add 4,300,000 moons. The sun is inconceivably huge, but comparatively as a star, it's very, very small. There's a star, there's a star called Betelgeuse, not Michael Keaton movie. There's a star called that. And that star is so big, it is bigger than Earth's orbit around the sun. And that's not even the biggest star we know of, key that we know of. Because what we can see in space, we still haven't left the front porch. Infinitely massive is our God. And so Jesus is infinitely better than Solomon. He's infinitely better than Jonah because he's infinite. But the people are still clamoring for a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Jesus is like, I'm not going to give you one except this, the sign of Jonah. Well, what's that? What's that all about? Does it have something to do with the fact that they're both prophets? Does it have something to do with the fact that they both preach judgment? Does it have something to do with the fact that they both called people to repentance? No, there's something a little bit more. The sign of Jonah is this. Jonah went into the tomb of a fish for three days. And then he was resurrected back out onto land. And so the sign of Jonah, folks, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the sign that they needed, he's saying, I'll give you a sign. You're going to see this sign. All right. The sign that they needed and the sign that we need today. Like if you want to know if Jesus is who he says he is, if you want to know if he really is bigger, if you want to know if he really is better, if you want to know if he really lived a perfect life in our place on our behalf, if you want to know if God accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins, if you want to know if Jesus has the power of eternal life, the way we know all of this is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he's alive today and reigning still. And will come again. And so in a way, it's a bit of stating the obvious. But he's infinitely better than anyone, anything. He's the image of the invisible God. He calls stars out by name. He creates and sustains. He upholds. He has complete dominion over all things. And yet he gave his life. This one who needs nothing. Gave his life for you and for me. To redeem us back to God. Though we were enemies. 
He's massively huge, massively good. So, so, so take heart in that. Take heart that Jesus is bigger. Take heart that Jesus is better. And then number three, all right, Jesus is bigger, Jesus is better. So take heart and live. Nothing new. Take heart and live. Live. Like look at verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body's full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body's full of light, having no part in dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And so not parsing the details of these verses, but just going cliff notes here. When you get who Jesus is, when you drink it down into your soul and you taste and see that the Lord is good, that He's bigger than your issues, He's better than any accumulation of wisdom or wealth or notoriety or comfort. Like when you get this, then you can take heart and live boldly for Him, shining like a lamp, brightly for His glory. Taking heart in who He is and what He's done. And realizing, realizing that until the day the Lord calls you home, you're invincible. I know that's weird. Let me try to parse that out a little bit. Like we, we really have nothing to be scared of. No one can do anything to us. And we can bleed, but no one can take... Uh, you, you, let me just do it this way. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says this. Starting in verse 13. Some of you know this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And listen, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. And so what this means, folks, is we're you're you're not going to die early. Like it's in God's hands. All of our days have been written down when as yet there was none of them. And so listen to me until that day. And it's different for everybody. The Lord's got his purpose for some people. It's young. For some of us, we've experienced this before baby even took its first breath. For some of us, it's young. And we don't get it and we don't know why. We don't know God's purposes. He is bigger. He is better. We trust His omniscience. And so for some of us, it's young. For some of us, it's old. But until that day, like just thinking right now, your life, until that day, it's not going to happen before he says, come home. He's in control. He's bigger. He's better. And so until that day, until that day, live in light of that, knowing this, knowing that, that what can man do to me? What, what can man do to me? Don't fear the one who can, who, can, who can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill, that can take the soul. 
And so until that day, you're invincible. No one can lay a hand on you unless God lets them. And so let that bigness, let this, let this crazy reality that, that God holds the days of our lives in the palm of our hands not scare us, not lead us to question, but lead us to confidence that God holds us, every one of us, in His perfect and loving, omniscient hands. And He will not take you home till it's your time. And so out of that, then we can live with confidence and we can live with boldness and we can live it taking heart in every moment of the day because he's bigger, he's better, he's for us, he's with us, he's holding us in the palm of his hands and so shine brightly for him as a lamp during this time that you have. Because it's a short time that any of us have. We get one chance at this rodeo. Don't waste it. Don't waste it on trivialities that 20,000 years from now you won't give a patootie for. That's not the first thing that came to my mind, but I caught it. That you won't care about 20,000 years from now. Don't waste the gift. Take heart in who He is. Take heart in what He's done and live for Him. He tried to shut us down and it ain't going to slide. Only thing I fear is God and He on my side. That's the confidence of God because He got me. That's why I really feel like you can't stop Take heart, folks, and live for the King. He's bigger and He's better. Let's pray. Father, help us to grasp Your grandeur, Your majesty, who You are, seated on the throne. Help us to behold You and and as we do, to let that fill our hearts with wonder and amazement and trust and thankfulness, casting everything on You. We don't understand it all. We don't get it all. But we trust You. We know that You're for us. The cross stands as an eternal reminder of that. And so let that fill us then with confidence to then Live boldly, shining like a lamp in this life that you've given us. That's why we're not dead. Are you saved? For those of us in here who are Christians, you have saved us and you've left us here. You haven't taken us home. Why? You've left us here to shine. So let us shine. Let us burn bright to the day we drop and go to the reward. Let's get a vision and an understanding of who you are that will drive us to that. In Jesus' name, amen.